What if everyone thought you murdered your best friend? And what if you can't remember that night? And what if the truth doesn't matter? The Washington Post says Amy Tintera's Listen for the Lie is an edgy mystery novel whose true crime storyline draws you in like the podcast Serial. A Good Morning America book club pick that Stephen King calls a page-turner from the first sentence to the very last. Listen for the Lie is on sale now everywhere books are sold. Hello, America. It's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you don't have Consumer Cellular yet, now is the perfect time to switch and save. For a limited time, new customers can get wireless service for as low as $15 a month for your first year. Yep, the same exact nationwide coverage as the leading carriers for $15 a month for an entire year. What are you waiting for? Call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com and use code RADIO15. See ConsumerCellular.com slash FIRSTYEAR15 for promotional details. I Lived with a Killer is part of the Real Crime Collection in the Reels Files on Podcast One, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. Be sure to subscribe to get new episodes each Thursday. Then, go to Reels.com to find chilling programs like this when you watch TV. That's R-E-E-L-Z.com for the real crime series and specials you'll find only on Reels Channel. Known as the Iceman, Richard Kuklinski lives as one of America's most prolific killers. Kuklinski admitted to killing over 200 people. While raising a middle-class family in the suburbs. I always believed that there was going to be someone that was going to come in and save us. And they never came. But while the Iceman works hard to become an expert in his field... Kuklinski, to hone his skills as a killer, would kill people on the street just for practice. His daughters struggle to survive their ruthless and unpredictable father. I walk around on eggshells with my dad, or in our house in general. My mother and I talked about how we could possibly kill my father, because it was the only way that we would ever be safe. For Richard Kuklinski, killing is an art form. His favored method of body disposal earns him the nickname The Iceman and is also the title of the 2013 film about his life starring Michael Shannon and Winona Ryder. Kuklinski spends decades working as a contract killer, all the while living what appears to the outside world as a normal middle-class life in the New Jersey suburbs. Richard and his wife Barbara are parents to a young boy and two daughters, seven-year-old Kristen and eight-year-old Merrick. My mom said that when I was born and he picked me up, that there was an instant bond. He would sleep next to me, make sure I, I kept breathing through the night. So he was extremely compassionate. My father was a mountain. He was just bigger than life. And I think more than his physical uh was he just had an aura about him. Richard tries to give his children the childhood he never had. He thought that if he gave us everything, if he bought us what we needed, if he took us on vacation, if he provided all of the wonderful things that he did for us, that life would be great because those were the things as a child he wanted. But Richard's violent upbringing leaves him unable to make the normal human connections that hold a family together. Christine Kuklinski, daughter. 
he didn't realize that the same things that he had in his childhood, the violence and the negativity in his family, was what he was creating in our house. And that was our problem as his children. Michael Vecchione, retired Brooklyn DA. Richard Kuklinski had a very difficult childhood. He was born in New Jersey in 1935. And he was raised by a father who was physically abusive to him and his older brother and by a mother who was emotionally controlling and was cold-hearted to both of the boys. When Richard was five years old, his father beat his older brother to death. When they took the young boy to the hospital, his father told the hospital staff that he had fallen down a flight of stairs. As a teenager, Richard turns to petty theft to help provide for his family. And before long, is established in a lucrative life of crime. By the time Richard Kuklinski was 18 years old, he had become a master burglar, and he caught the attention of the DeCavalcanti crime family. The DeCavalcantis were the inspiration and model for the dramatic series The Sopranos. DeCavalcanti mobster Carmine Genovese takes note of the young Kuklinski. Carmine Genovese put Kuklinski in charge of a little crew of truck hijackers. They stole anything they could get their hands on, splitting the proceeds 50-50 with Mr. Genovese. Before long, Genovese graduates the young Kuklinski from theft to murder. Carmine Genovese actually provided Kuklinski with his first professional hit. It really took nothing to get Richard Kuklinski to commit a murder. He asked no questions whatsoever and became very adept at killing very early on. So that really set the course for the rest of his life. With his first professional kill, Kuklinski discovers he has a knack for murder. But when Carmine Genovese is sent to prison on gambling charges, Richard's contracts run thin. Richard Kuklinski suddenly had a lot more time on his hands. As malevolent as it sounds, he was so full of anger, so full of rage, he actually took up killing as a sport. Kuklinski, to hone his skills as a killer, would travel from New Jersey over to Manhattan, and he would look for prey, and he would kill people on the street just for practice. Richard refines his technique in both killing and body disposal. He would vary his disposal of the bodies. He created a lot of mystery because there was really no rhyme or reason to the people he was killing during this phase of his murderous career. One of Kuklinski's favorite methods of disposal cements him in American folklore. Richard Kuklinski would freeze many of his victims so the time of death could not be determined with any certainty. And that's how he earned the nickname, the Iceman. The ease with which the Iceman kills his targets keeps him in high demand. But to the mob, he remains an outsider. La Cosa Nostra is only available to people who are of Italian heritage. So Kuklinski could never become a member of La Cosa Nostra. Consequently, he could operate as a freelance killer, which made him a very valuable asset. Kuklinski becomes a highly paid expert in murder and disposal. But by 1960, he loses his biggest client. In 1960, Mr. Genovese was murdered in a mob-related hit. 
And this forced young Richard Kuklinski to seek legitimate employment, at least for a time. A friend of his got him a job on the loading dock at the Swift Line Trucking Company in New Jersey. There, Richard meets his future wife, Barbara. My mom was about 18 or 19 when she met my dad. She had graduated high school, and she got a job as a receptionist in the warehouse that my father was working at at the time. My mother was being very rebellious by dating my father because obviously he had come from the other side of the tracks. But Kuklinski's unstable childhood and unusual career path has shaped him into an intensely violent and volatile man. They started dating, but almost immediately there was violence in the relationship and so on, and she, I think, realized, oh my God, what have I gotten myself into? By 1962, Richard and Barbara had been together about a year. It was at that time, for the first time, that she met the real Richard Kuklinski. There came an evening when Kuklinski goes to pick up Barbara, and she is having some troubles. Um, she does not like the fact that Kuklinski is controlling. She wants to see other people. She wants to have friends. And as she is talking, Kuklinski takes out a hunting knife and it stabs her. And she didn't even realize that she had been stabbed until the blood started to trickle down her back. She then started to scream uncontrollably, and he beat her into an unconscious state. The next day, Richard showed up at her workplace, and he told her that if she did not take him back, he would kill her. And she felt as if she had no choice. It was either marry him and live, or decline his advances and very likely die. There was no one to save her because he was really scary. Everyone was afraid of him. Over the next decade, Richard and Barbara settled down to what seems like a normal middle-class life in suburban New Jersey. But young daughters Merrick and Kristen have no idea that their father truly makes his money through a variety of criminal activities, including bootlegging, theft, pornography, and contract killing. My father was a wholesale distributor. I don't know what that is, but that's what we were always told he was. Despite the outward appearance of propriety, Kuklinski's daughters start to see clues about their father's true nature. I was in the kitchen of our house, and my mother had made tea for my father, and I put my hand right into the uh, boiling hot cup of tea. And so I burned myself, of course. And my father became enraged that my mother had put this tea where I could hurt myself. And he immediately turned around and slapped her and the next thing you know he was swinging at her and I remember being a child and just being like what just happened like you know there's no words to understand or explain that at that point in my life I had no idea and that's really the first time I remember the violence life in the Kuklinski household is far from the perfect family experience Richard desires but to the outside world, Kuklinski is a master of keeping up appearances. My father was very big on taking out the motion uh, picture camera. It was very important for him to have these memories like as proof. Like, see, this is my family. See, look, how, look at the smiles. We're all really happy. Look how good my kids are dressed. Like, this is great. Look at my car. It was all very important things for him to show. 
away from the camera's gaze, the Iceman continues to hone his art. In September of 1972, Kuklinski was given a contract, a rather unusual contract, to kill someone. $10,000 was the, was the fee for the killing, but the contractor told him that if he made the mark suffer, that there was another $10,000 in it for him. With a chance to double his earnings, Kuklinski puts his camera to work for an entirely different purpose and concocts a terrifying plan. What are you going to do to me? Get down. Richard Kuklinski is the Iceman, a thief, contract killer, and all-around dangerous man. Despite his obsession with presenting a normal image to the outside world, his young daughters, Merrick and Kristen, suspect the truth. The feeling that my father did bad things and he obviously broke the law and everything was always something that I think we knew in the back of our heads. In September of 1972, the hitman is offered a contract with the opportunity to up the ante. $10,000 was the fee for the killing, but the contractor told him that if he made the mark suffer, that there was another $10,000 in it for him. Kuklinski approaches the contract like the professional that he is, but with a new level of morbid creativity. Kuklinski studied his victim, knew his comings and goings. He flagged him down at a stop sign, pressed the gun to his head, took him out of the car, put him in his trunk, and took him to a cave in Pennsylvania where he had brought previous victims Kuklinski left the mark there not to die from dehydration or exposure. He left him there so he could be eaten by rats. He set up cameras, lights, motion detectors, video equipment so he could record the death and the torture that these rats were causing to this individual. Kuklinski leaves the cameras running and goes home to his wife and family. After four days, Richard returned to the cave, noticed that all that was left was disjointed bones of the victim. All of his flesh had been eaten. He packed up his photographic equipment and left the body. So, in fact, Richard did double his money. He took the video back to the person who had contracted him, showed it to him. The contractor was horrified, but paid him the money nonetheless. The Iceman's reputation as a ruthless killer spreads across the organized crime community. And with constant employment, the money keeps rolling in. His family reaps the rewards. We had the nicer things in life. We drove nice cars. We went to good schools. Everything was perfect from the outside. It all appeared to be a wonderful life. But Merrick and Kristen know to be on high alert because of their father's mood swings. He suffered from depression, and I don't think that he was ever diagnosed as having depression. And maybe he was bipolar or whatever, but I don't think he ever went to a doctor because he was afraid going to a doctor that they would see into his brain and know how twisted he was. He would go into his bedroom, and he would lay in the dark, and he would always complain of having a headache. He would write with a black marker on the walls, um, like, you're so stupid and you're a jerk and, and things like that, right in big letters across his bedroom walls. Without warning, depression 
would change to uncontrollable rage. When he would be raging, he would punch himself in the head and you could actually see he would be so red in the face and his like blood vessels would be popping out and he'd hit himself and you'd see the vibration that he would hit so hard. We would beg him to stop and say, stop, dad, don't hurt yourself, because we didn't want him to hurt himself. We wanted this behavior to stop, but we had, I guess, gone through it long enough to know that there really wasn't anything that we could say that was going to make it stop. I walked around on eggshells with my dad or in our house in general. I think I still walk on eggshells. Like, I don't think I really know how not to. Um, God, I haven't thought about that in a long time. And, um, I'm sorry. As Merrick gets older, the special bond between Richard and his firstborn grows stronger. And Merrick takes on the unexpected role of confidant. Kuklinski confesses to his daughter that as a 14-year-old, he murdered a bully in a fit of rage. My dad, when he was younger, growing up, he was very tall. His clothes didn't fit right. So there were neighborhood bullies. They used to, like, push him to the ground and call him names and so on and so forth. And then he explained that he was going in his house, going to hang up his coat and sore the the coat rod and just took it out and then it turned into that he used the rod to kill the boy I don't think I processed it I said to my father that I understood and that I loved him as Merrick learns more about her father's murderous past Sister Kristen falls into the role of protector. I believe that it was my job in the family to keep my mother alive. There were many times when my father would be hurting my mother and we wanted him to stop. So at one point I stood in between him and my mother and he was right in my face and he said, Kristen, I'm going to ask you to move. And I said, but daddy, you know, I can't. I don't want you to hit mommy. I want to, you know, protect mommy. And he said, I'm going to ask you one more time, Kristen. And I, I said, I can't do that, daddy. And he put his hands on both my arms and just picked me up and put me like three feet to the side and put me back down and then proceeded to hit my mother. So it was like I wasn't even there. I may have slowed him down. That was about it. With Kristen helpless to protect their mother, Merrick continues to be burdened with their father's morbid confessions. I think I was 13, and he said, uh, Mary, <laughs> if I go goes too far and I ever kill your mom, that I would have to kill all of you. And that he wanted me to know that it would, I would be the hardest because of our relationship. And I said... <laughs> I said, it's okay, Dad. I understand. With his unusual lifestyle, Kuklinski has few friends, except for fellow crook, George Malaband. 
George Maliban was close to being a mountain like my father. He was another man who I remember thinking, oh my God, he's almost as big as my father. Unfortunately for Kuklinski, his friend has a serious problem. George Maliband was a degenerate gambler, and he was into various loan sharks for gambling debts totaling about $35,000. He actually went to Kuklinski for help, and when he was overextended, Kuklinski was able to get him a $35,000 loan from the Gambino crime family at the friend's rate of interest. But Maliband soon stops making payments on the loan, and the Gambinos are not happy. He's into the Gambinos now for the $35,000. So it was Kuklinski's reputation now on the line. When the Gambino family starts leaning on Richard to sort out his friend's debt, Kuklinski invites Maliband to go for a drive to discuss the situation. Maliband's cockiness got the better of him. When Richard Kuklinski told him that the Gambinos wanted their money, Maliband very foolishly told Kuklinski they were not going to hurt him because he knew where Barbara and the kids lived. It was the worst mistake he ever made. Kuklinski pulled over the car. He was shot five times right there and killed. The professional hitman has made an impulsive kill. And his mistake will lead authorities right to his front door. If you like what you're hearing, check out the Real Crime TV series on Reels Channel. You'll find chilling true stories of capital offenders brought to justice, like Chris Watts, the Colorado killer dad, Jeffrey Epstein, the sex trafficker who died in jail with his secrets, and a new report on the disappearance of Natalie Holloway. Then, check out Reels' medical mystery series, Autopsy. Autopsy reveals what really killed screen and music legends like Amy Winehouse, River Phoenix, Elvis Presley, and Robin Williams. Find Reels on your TV at Reels.com. That's R-E-E-L-Z.com. Then check the top of the screen to find Reels in your area. Known in legend as the Iceman, Richard Kuklinski has been killing both professionally and for sport for almost 30 years. He's as feared at home as he is on the street. We knew better. We just knew what was expected of us. We did what we had to do every day, and we just continued the routine. And we never swayed, and we didn't ask. Kuklinski's careful planning has helped him evade detection for decades. But when his best friend and fellow criminal George Maliband threatens Richard's family, the professional killer behaves like an amateur. In an impulsive explosion of violence, he shoots Maliband five times. After murdering Maliband, Kuklinski disposes of the body by putting it into a 55-gallon drum and bringing it to a chemical factory in Jersey City. So he tried to stuff Maliband's body into one of these drums, but it didn't fit. So he had to cut his leg off. Kuklinski then covered the drum and dumped it into an area where he had dumped other bodies. Kuklinski has used this disposal technique in the past without incident, but never impulsively. The barrel rolled down a hill into a ravine where it hit a rock, and the top of the barrel actually popped off. Malban's body was discovered by the owner of the plant. 
he had seen something protruding from the top of the drum, and it was his leg. The New Jersey State Police responded. They eventually identified the body as George Maliban and contacted his family. Maliban's family leads police straight to Richard Kuklinski's door. The police interviewed Maliban's brother, who told them that Maliban was supposed to be with Richard Kuklinski that day. When detectives come knocking, Kuklinski succeeds in throwing them off his trail. And inside the Kuklinski house, it's don't ask, don't tell. It was just one of those things you just knew. It was, it was like, you don't ask my father questions, well, you just never mention George's name again. Because all of a sudden, George was like taboo. Narrowly escaping detection, Kuklinski vows to move forward more carefully. By the 1980s, the Iceman expands his criminal enterprise once again. In the early 1980s, Kuklinski started a breaking and entering ring with four other men, Al Rinke, Gary Smith, Danny Deppner, and Percy House, and they were stealing anything and everything. Kuklinski turns to an old ally named Phil Salamini to sell his stolen goods. Phil was an acquaintance of Kuklinski who had a store that was a, basically a fencing operation. He bought stolen goods. Phil Salamini sold a little bit of everything, I, I believe is how my father explained it. Because you'd say, well, what kind of stores? And he goes, oh, well, he, Philly sells a little bit of everything. Business is good, but Kuklinski's crew executes so many robberies, the police take note. In 1981, they start an official investigation. The effort to solve the rash of burglaries was headed up by a New Jersey State Police detective named Pat Kane. Unaware of the increased police scrutiny, the Iceman grabs an opportunity to make some quick cash by robbing a wealthy criminal. Louis Masgay was the owner of a variety store in 44th, Pennsylvania. And he carried around a wad of money with him all the time so he could buy cheap stolen goods. On July 1st, 1981, Kuklinski lures Masgay to Phil Solomini's store. After shooting their victim, Richard and his accomplice put the body on ice. They put the body into an ice-cold well, put a tire over the well, and then on top of that, they put plywood and cement. The plan pays off. At the time of his murder, Masgay is carrying $90,000 in cash. So Kuklinski and Solomon stole that wad of money that he carried around with him, and they split it. So there was a good payday for them. But the Iceman's decision to include his partner in the murder comes back to bite him when Solomini brags about the story to the members of the b and &E crew. By July of 1981, everybody in the breaking and entering crew knew that Kuklinski, without doubt, was a ruthless killer. When Al Rinke is arrested during a robbery, Kuklinski is at risk. Rather than face jail, Al Rinke decided to become an informant for the police. Rinky gave up the name of everybody in the crew, but when it came to Kuklinski, all he said was the leader of the crew was someone named Big Rich. By now, Rinky was aware of how ruthless of a killer Kuklinski was, and he knew that by telling the authorities, that would be like signing his own death warrant. But with the identities of the other crew members now revealed, authorities move in. 
In October of 1982, New Jersey police detective Patrick Kane secured a number of indictments against Percy House, Danny Deppner, and Gary Smith. And as a result, warrants for their arrest were issued. Percy House was the first one arrested, and once he was arrested, Kuklinski knew that it was just a matter of time before the police came for him and the rest of his crew. The Iceman once again calls on his ingenuity and creativity in the art of murder. Like the mysterious Kaiser Sose in the film The Usual Suspects, he devises a plan to guarantee the remaining crew members take his identity to their graves. Kuklinski convinces Gary Smith and Danny Deppner to hide out in a local motel and await instructions. Either of these two guys could have reported Kuklinski to the authorities for the Mazgay murder. Kuklinski figured that Gary Smith was the most likely to turn if he was arrested by the police. Once he has Deppner on board, Kuklinski puts his plan in motion. Kuklinski had all sorts of ways to kill people. He utilized many. He liked cyanide because it worked very fast. It didn't leave a mess. Richard picks up burgers from a local fast food restaurant, ensuring that only one is served without pickles. Outside of the motel, he adds his secret ingredient to the pickle-free burger. When he came back to the motel, Deppner actually looked at his hamburger to make sure he wasn't given the cyanide-laced one, and that he hadn't, Gary had, and Gary began to eat it. Richard Kuklinski has evaded authorities for decades and will stop at nothing to ensure that doesn't change. Richard Kuklinski is a serial killer who takes pride in his work. Whether killing professionally or just for sport, Kuklinski's careful planning and execution make him a master at his craft. His favorite method of disposal, freezing the body to eliminate usable evidence, earns him the nickname the Iceman and keeps his identity protected for decades. But the same traits that make him an accomplished killer also make him a terrible husband and father. By their late teens, Kuklinski's daughters Merrick and Kristen have endured a lifetime of frightening behavior. My childhood was helpless. A feeling of nowhere to go, no one to turn to. Me and Merrick were two children in this very, very sick world, and we had no one that was going to save us. I always believed that there was going to be someone that was going to come in and save us, and they never came. After two members of Kuklinski's break-and-enter crew are arrested by police, Richard decides to kill the remaining crew members in order to keep his identity a secret. In December 1982, Kuklinski hides Danny Deppner and Gary Smith in a motel in North Bergen, New Jersey. Gary Smith's number is up first. Kuklinski went to a restaurant, bought three hamburgers. One of them did not have pickles, and that's the one that he made sure Gary Smith was served. And Gary began to eat it. Unfortunately for Gary, the pickle-free burger is laced with cyanide. Now, Gary started to show the signs of cyanide poisoning, but he wasn't dying fast enough. So Deppner took a cord from a lamp and strangled Gary Smith so that he would ultimately shut up and he would die. 
Danny Deppner's wife was supposed to come to the motel with her car. She didn't, and Kuklinski had no choice but to leave the body at the motel. So what they did was they put it under the mattress of the bed that was in the room. The cleaning staff of the motel discovered the body under the mattress and called the police. The Iceman celebrates Christmas at home with his family, which now includes Merrick's boyfriend, Richie. I met Richie. I had just turned 16. He became really close with the family. The relationship between Richie and my dad was good. I mean, he liked him surprisingly. Kuklinski stashes Danny Deppner, his one remaining crew member, at Richie's apartment, where police can't get to him. But it's too late. Danny Deppner had told his wife that Kuklinski was a killer. And when the police showed up at her house, just for a standard noise complaint, her nerves were so frayed, she was on such an edge that she just blurted out everything she knew. It didn't take long for Kuklinski to learn that Danny Deppner had told his wife about him being a killer. So now Deppner became a problem to Kuklinski. Kuklinski had to get rid of him. Never suspecting he might suffer the same fate as his crew member, Deppner accepts Kuklinski's offer of a free meal. Instead of hamburgers, however, he laced a roast beef sandwich, uh, gave it to Deppner. Deppner ate it and began to obviously suffer the signs of cyanide poisoning. And just to finish him off, he shot him with a 22 caliber silencer-equipped pistol. Kuklinski wrapped Danny's body in plastic garbage bags, and the first call he made was to Richie. My father told us about Danny, and then that's how Richie got involved, because my father said he needed his help, and my father wasn't a man who said no to. <laughs> I guess this is the best way to put it. Richie helps Kuklinski dump Danny's body in the woods, but Merrick is suspicious. Fearing her boyfriend will meet the same demise as her father's crew, Merrick convinces Richie to pack up and quietly leave town. Wow. I still, many, many years later, know how I felt in my inside shake. Richard had no idea what he was going to get into, and that was the end of me and Richard's relationship. Determined to bring Kuklinski down, Detective Kane interrogates former crew member Percy House in prison. So facing a 79-count burglary indictment, Percy House reluctantly became an informant for the police as part of his plea bargain told the police that Kuklinski had killed George Maliband and Louis Masgay. So the police began to surveil Kuklinski and his family. In fact, they put a stakeout on his residence in New Jersey. They weren't able to catch him, obviously, because they had tried very hard. Came to our house, they followed us around town, often lurking in the trees, basically, and they never were able to get him. Even as more bodies start popping up, the police don't have enough to pin the murders on Kuklinski. On May 14, 1983, a body was found by the West Milford Reservoir. It was determined to be Danny Deppner. The cause of death was strangulation, poisoning, and he was also shot in the head. This death was almost identical to the death of Gary Smith. Four months later, the body of Louis Masgay is found near Orangetown, New York, 
The telltale signs of freezing on the body mean evidence is hard to come by. So the investigation into Kuklinski kind of hit a brick wall. They really had no way of getting evidence that was necessary to get Kuklinski under indictment and then ultimately convict him. So they came up with the idea of introducing an undercover agent to Kuklinski. They felt that if they introduced someone to Kuklinski, that that someone would be able to get enough information to be able to indict and ultimately convict Kuklinski. An ATF officer is assigned to pose as a low-level hoodlum named Dominic Provenzano. But over 18 long months, the operation proves fruitless. Provenzano was introduced into the Kuklinski operation as a gun dealer, someone who could sell stolen pistols and rifles, etc. The undercover operative was having a very hard time establishing a relationship with Kuklinski. One of the methods in which he tried was by baiting him with the availability of weapons. But Kuklinski did not take the bait. Eventually, Kuklinski's family reaches a breaking point. We didn't have a hope of getting saved because they had been tracking him for so long and they couldn't get him on anything. So what were we supposed to do? How were we supposed to stop him? These were strong men with power and they had all this intelligence. So if, if they couldn't stop him, what were we going to do? The stress of living with the unstable killer becomes too much to bear. My mother and I a number of times talked about how we could possibly kill my father because it was the only way that we would ever be safe. So we tried to think of things that we could do and it had to be a guarantee because we would never have a second chance. So at the time, my mother was like, that's it. Known as the Iceman, Richard Kuklinski's tendency to freeze the bodies of his victims helps him escape detection for decades. But after he murders members of his own crew to keep them quiet, law enforcement closes in. An undercover ATF agent is assigned to cozy up to Kuklinski and gather the evidence necessary for an indictment. But when the authorities seem unable to bring Kuklinski down, his wife and daughter consider doing the job themselves. It was in the newspaper that it was a mother and a daughter and the man died. The man was abusive and the woman killed the man. But the daughter said that she did it. They believed that the mother had done it. But by saying the daughter had done it, she didn't get in trouble because she was a minor. And so we, my mother and I kind of decided that that was something that we could do. How we were going to kill him was a whole other ballgame. Barbara and Kristen came up with an, an idea to kill Richard by spiking his meatloaf with heavy doses of Barbara's Valium. That's how crazy their life had become. We didn't share things like that with Merrick because Merrick truly, truly loved my father and was able to make excuses for the inexcusable. I mean, she just was able to always find some way of defending him, of finding a reason why he had done what he had done and making it okay. And I didn't share that feeling with her. In the end, Kristen and her mother are too terrified to act on their plan. 
The plan to place an undercover agent near Richard Kuklinski is also going poorly. After 18 months, the ATF agent posing as weapons dealer Dominic Provenzano has made little headway. The undercover operative was having a very hard time establishing a relationship with Kuklinski. Whether he was too smart or just was not interested, did not take the bait. With the investigation stalled, New Jersey Detective Kane decides it's time to poke the hornet's nest. He pays a visit to Richard Kuklinski and questions him about Gary Smith. Kuklinski vehemently denied knowing Gary Smith, even when confronted with phone records that showed he called Gary Smith at the York Motel. He just shrugged and dismissed it. The detective's bold tactic pays off. Kuklinski made up his mind that he was going to kill Detective Kane. That was the way that he got rid of problems. He just simply eliminated them. Kuklinski decided he was going to try to spray him with cyanide, uh, where there would be no telltale evidence of any violence or foul play. At that point, Kuklinski reached out to Provenzano, who had been courting him for such a long time, and asked him if he had access to cyanide. And that was the door in for Provenzano. Once he got comfortable with Provenzano, Kuklinski opened up to him, began telling him about the murders, and uh, actually started to joke with him about how he killed people, how he disposed of them. To ensure a conviction, investigators want to capture the Iceman confessing on tape. On December 6, 1986, Provenzano comes to Kuklinski and says that Pat Kane questioned him about Kuklinski's murder. Kuklinski shrugs it off and says if they had any evidence against him, they would have arrested him already. And then he proceeds foolishly to tell Provenzano about the murders of Gary Smith and Danny Deppner. The authorities had enough to arrest, indict, and convict Richard Kuklinski. On December 17, 1986, Police move in on Kuklinski in his suburban New Jersey neighborhood. The day that my father was arrested started off like every other day. My parents had planned on doing their usual. They would go to breakfast in the morning, and then my father was going to take my mother to the doctor. I called my house at morning break in school, and um, there was no answer. So I said, oh, they probably saw the doctors or whatever. I called at lunch. And a stranger answered my house phone and hung up. I was at work, and my telephone rang in my office, and it was my mother screaming. They got your father. I was not prepared for that because me and Merrick didn't say, okay, so when Dad gets arrested, here's what we'll do. No, we didn't think that that was ever going to happen. Kuklinski stands trial for the murders of Deppner, Smith, Malaband, and Mazgay. His devoted daughter, Merrick, takes a front row seat in the courtroom with her newborn baby in her arms. When trial started, I had just had my son, and I was there every day listening to all of it. The good thing about my dad's trial was that he got to see his grandson. And I think I focused on that, and everyone at the courthouse was extremely kind to me. At the trial... Kristen learns that her father is more of a monster than she suspected. He has admitted to committing more than 100 killings. At one point, Kuklinski kept the body in a freezer for months, earning him that nickname, 
the Iceman. He had been a lot worse than even we imagined. And and that was shocking. He he's my father. There's him in me. How do you make that okay? Can that be okay? Kuklinski is convicted and given two separate life sentences. Jail was actually perfect for my father. Jail was where my father could be the king. He was very well respected. He was like the baddest of the bad. He just got to hang out with the other gangsters in the prison and play cards and be a, and be a badass. Even with their father behind bars, for Merrick and Kristen, the psychological torment continues. Visiting in my father in jail was horrible. We were totally out of our element there. We were like the big news, so everybody would be like, "That's the Iceman's family." Oh, look, you know, and it was like we were on display. When we went to visit him, his exact words actually were, "See all of." He meant the guards. They have guns and stuff. He said, "I'll get to you before they ever get to me." I think it was his way of letting us know that if he wanted something to happen, it would. And I didn't doubt that. The Iceman dies in prison after 18 years behind bars, but before his death, he gives a stunningly detailed account of his murderous past. In his final interviews, Kuklinski admitted to killing over 200 people. Said he never felt a pang of remorse or guilt. Said he killed as easily as he belched, and the only time he displayed any emotion whatsoever, any trickle of humanity, was when he was talking about the harm he did to his children and the pain that he caused his children. Even after their father's death, Merrick and Kristen struggled to find peace. I just felt that he needed to be loved, and the harder I tried, or the more I loved him, the better I could make it. Unfortunately, that wasn't true. So for a long time, I felt I failed. I failed him, I guess, because I couldn't make it stop. I couldn't love him enough for him to see that he could be okay. Merrick always felt that she didn't love him enough, and the truth is, he didn't love her enough. That's really the truth. He created these children who were suffering the way that he suffered, and that was what he didn't want most of all. But it's what he created, and I would be really shallow not to have empathy for him and for the tragedy of his life. I think that my father never had a chance, and he deserved a chance. I think everybody deserves a chance. I lived with a killer comes from the real crime fans at Reels Channel. To find more original programs like this when you watch TV, go to reels.com. That's R-E-E-L-Z.com to find us on your system. You'll also find extras from the TV version of I Lived with a Killer, including tell-all interviews with family members and crime scene photos. You'll get only on Reels Channel. What if everyone thought you murdered your best friend? And what if you can't remember that night? And what if the truth doesn't matter? The Washington Post says Amy Tintera's Listen for the Lie is an edgy mystery novel whose true crime storyline draws you in like the podcast Serial. A Good Morning America book club pick that Stephen King calls a page-turner from the first sentence to the very last. 
Listen for the Lie is on sale now everywhere books are sold.